the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wine Women Radio Hour. I'm Marcia Makeumber, your host today. It's uh, the middle of harvest, the beginning of October, and uh, our other regular co-hosts, Misty Rodebush Kane and Lisa Adams Walter, are both on assignment today. Uh, Lisa is probably off busy working on uh, Canvas the magazine, uh, for which she is uh, editor, uh, and uh, spreading the good word about that. And of course, Misty is director of marketing at Saint Supri. Uh, further up the valley, so uh, undoubtedly she is quite busy with that as well. Um, we're actually here today doing a remote at the Kitchen Collective in Napa. Uh, we've got a beautiful location here where there are uh, numerous dinner engagements that go on, uh, as well as a lot of different wine tastings for different producers, but today actually we're going to I uh, cut away from a little bit of a normal format since it's just me and our guest, Philippe Langner. Thank you for being here, Philippe. You're very welcome. Thank it's you great for to have me. you on the show today. So for listeners who don't know, Philippe is founder, winemaker, vintner, vigneron, <laughs> jack of all trades that you have to be for Hesperian Wines. So uh, Hesperian, you can find online at hesperianwines.com. Correct. Easy way to find it. Uh, Hesperian uh, has tasting events from time to time here at Kitchen Collective. Right. It's a beautiful facility uh, here off of uh, Soskal Avenue in Napa for those who are local and going, where is that? Um, very easy to find. Uh, it's right off the river, but so are a lot of things in Napa too. Very close so to Oxbow. Very close to Oxbow. Very good way, very good way to put it. Uh, and so Hesperian was founded in 2004. Correct. Right? Yep. And you've also been a winemaker f in several places, but primarily Sullivan is what people might know you for in Here the past. in Napa, yes. That's right. So you did that for 11 years? Uh, close Seven? to 10 years. Close to 10 years. All right. So I was in the general ballpark, but not <laughs> quite that close. Um, but what might be a little different for some folks is um, your background is literally all over the entire globe. That is a little bit unusual. Um, some people go and they do an internship um, in Bordeaux, in Burgundy, maybe in New Zealand, maybe in Australia, maybe South America, and they do that for a season, maybe two, and they come back. But you actually started much further afield. First of all, you, st you were born in El Salvador. Yes. So starting there. But you've also backpacked the Himalayas, right? right? Yeah. That's pretty exciting. So that was after college. We'll kind of skip around a little bit there. And then eventually you landed here, uh, here in the West, the true West, um, which is in part where Hesperian comes from. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about where the name came from, uh, and we'll we'll walk our way backwards through your history. All right. So uh, Hesperian is a Greek word, an mm -hmm. adjective that means of the West or relating to the West. And I was looking for a name. It's become very difficult because uh, <laughs> I didn't want to put my name on the bottle uh, because there's too much ego involved, <laughs> and I'm trying to reduce it. <laughs> and also, I, I mean, at one point, I'll probably sell this. Uh, I'll get old, older. Yeah. And I'll, you're already you know, working on your exit plan. That's fantastic. Well, you know, let's face <laughs> reality. Planning. I'm 52. <laughs> 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 it will happen. And so uh, if I sold my brand with the name on it, then somebody else has the use of the name. And I didn't like that idea at all. There you go. That's like, a, that's like a Mondavi Winery. There you go. And he is no longer with us. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, he, he was still here. Uh, Robert Mondavi was still here for many, many years after right. he sold his brand. Um, and it, it kind of, you know, up and down, a lot of different things with public opinion. So I can understand your right. concern <laughs> about should I go that route or not. So first of all, let's, let's talk about what's in the glass here because we want to make sure so folks we have two glasses two glasses uh, the first starting one, on the left uh, the one you had first okay i did um that's the napa uh for 2015 
Mm-hmm. And it is a blend of 50% from my vineyard on Atlas Peak mm-hmm. and 50% from a vineyard in Coombsville that I lease and farm. There you go. And right. 50% yolk, uh, 100% cab. Wow. Sorry. This has a Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes, it is. It is <laughs> Cabernet Sauvignon, and it has a really rich uh, red fruits, black fruits, spices, uh, a touch of cocoa. On the it nose? It has a little bit. A little it has bit. some spices, some clove. It has a little bit of an animal character, a little um, uh, forest floor. Yes, most definitely. Uh, forest floor makes me think of a lot of different things. So everything from juniper and redwoods uh, to, I don't know, all kinds of pine needles, um, the mosses and the lichen. Uh, and the mushrooms that grow on the forest floor right. down in the the dappled light. Or so it's like the smell uh, when you walk mm-hmm. in a forest after rain. Right. Yes. Oh, good call. Good call. I like that. So for our listeners, this is your this is your raison d'etre. You're being our Cabernet Sauvignon uh, wines, your own vineyard, as you mentioned. This comes 50% from that mm-hmm. vineyard. Uh, Kitoko, we'll talk about where the name came from. Uh, Kitoko Vineyard is my vineyard on Atlas Peak. Um, I named it Kitoko Vineyard uh, in the very fond memories I had from uh, growing up in Zaire, where I grew up there from 6 to 16, mm-hmm. in my formative years. And it was home for me. I really loved the country and the people. So, uh, again, it was difficult to find a good name for it. Uh, and uh, I was quite sure there wouldn't be a, a, a word in Lingala <laughs> in a vineyard. So the, lo- uh, the local language, Lingala, is a, a Congolese so, yes, dialect. Lingala is one of right? the official languages of Zaire. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I'm just making, I'm making notes here on what I'm tasting on this beautiful 2015 Cabernet. I'm getting uh, blue fruit notes. I'm getting uh, red cherry, dark cherry, um, some plum, uh, cranberry notes. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the different spices. The spices are always a little harder for me to pinpoint. Um, There's some clove like on the nose, yeah. a little bit of nutmeg. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I get that. And there's, and it's it's got this interesting attack that... Uh, uh, you get that at the very beginning, and then it just kind of slowly opens and widens in the mid-mouth for the mid-mouth feel. Very um, strong but balanced backbone to it. The acidity comes through uh, strongly, but it's not uh, the least bit overpowering. Right. And then you get a little bit of the tannins towards the end. Yes. They're there. They're present. It's unavoidable with uh, mountain fruit. (laughs) This is very true. This is very true. The mountain fruits get a lot of stress. And Kitoko, I don't think we mentioned too much, although you mentioned um, that it was a mountain vineyard. It's at um, 1,400 feet? On average, yes. Between 1,315, 1,450. Okay. So it's up there, and it's on the east side of Napa. So for those who want to take a look at their maps, that's the Vaca Mountain Range. Mm-hmm. Um, it is filled with uh, obsidian, basalt, um, very volcanic-based rocks. Right. And m- um, many of the vineyards, and you probably could tell me if that's most of the vineyards, that run along the Vacas uh, have almost no soil. That's right. <laughs> we, pr- we have particularly little, little soil. <laughs> We're growing rocks. <laughs> so I know of some um, uh, vignerons and um, vintners who, in order to plant, had to literally get out the dynamite. We had to do that. Oh, my. Well, the, the, <laughs> the person I bought it from had to do that. Wow. Um, I don't think I would have been crazy enough at the time to do it. Now I think I'm crazy enough <laughs> to do it. But back then I wasn't. Uh, but I'm sure glad he did. <laughs> I would imagine that it takes a certain amount of expertise to know how to figure out the right charges, where they go, oh, I, et cetera. Yeah, I have no idea. I've never done it. I look forward <laughs> to doing it one day. <laughs> so yeah, a little black powder, to, you know, is good for everybody every once in a while, right? Yes. Something like that. <laughs> so, let's, so let's back up as we get to enjoy your 2015 uh, Cabernet Sauvignon here that is 
half and half, right? right? You said from your own vineyard and the Atlas Peak. And the Coombsville. The Coombsville. Now, the Coombsville one is kind of fun. I used to live off of Coombsville, mm. and um, I actually had a dog where she liked to ride in the car, so we'd go up and down first and second and third and fourth, back and forth, so I know exactly <laughs> where you're talking about. Um, it's, uh, it's a place famous for its Cabernet Sauvignons. Uh, it gets a lot of morning heat, depending upon which way you're facing, the valley mm-hmm. floor portion of it. Um, if, you're f- if you're west-facing, of course, you get a lot of afternoon heat. Right. Uh, but it seems to me like it's usually warmer overall on the Coombsville side than co- towards the middle of the valley. Uh, the actually, side. it isn't. Um, there you go. See, <laughs> I learned something new. That's Sorry. the whole point of doing this. No, no, no. It's good. Um, because it's closer to the bay, it has more bay mm. influence, which moderates the climate. So in winter, it'll be slightly less cold. Okay. Then in the summer, it's slightly less warm. Uh, enough that it mm-hmm. pushes back the harvest by maybe three weeks with St. Wow. Helena or Calistoga, wow, wow, things wow. like that. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really remarkable considering the entire valley is 30-something miles long. Right. About 33 miles long or something like that. But so there, there's huge differences in climate between Calistoga and Napa Carneros. Right. Uh, Calistoga is our, uh, in a way, is our air conditioning because it gets really <laughs> hot up there. And so the hot air rising pulls the cold air from the bay. I was going to say. And so it's a gradient from the south to the north mm-hmm. and it progressively gets hotter. Right. So for our listeners who may be even further afield than the, the North Bay and the, the entire San Francisco Bay Area, uh, you have to visualize a little bit with the San Francisco Bay Every single day, going in, going out, um, the the change in temperature, literally the inland areas pull the fog in and it it pulls it to the south, it pulls it to the east, and it pulls it north. Here you're talking Mm -hmm. through San Pablo Bay, which is to the north end of San Francisco Bay. uh, And it's just pulling that cool air right up towards your vineyards and towards the one in, in Coombsville that yes. is also in this and uh, It's the same up on the hill because mm-hmm. I can see the city, San Francisco, mm-hmm. from the vineyards. Fun. Uh, on, a, on a clear day. <laughs> which <laughs> on is a clear not day often. you can see forever. There's right. Uh, but so that means that I get the full brunt of, this, of the wind. And uh, especially in winter and sometimes mm-hmm. in spring, it can get extremely windy. Wow. I've had uh, canopies shredded uh, oh certain years on the upper block because it gets the full brunt of, this, of the wind. Wow. And so that must mean in the spring times then with bud break and early development, you've got a whole host of farming challenges. Oh, yes. <laughs> like <laughs> everywhere, but different <laughs> ones than Every, the Valley Right. Floor. Everybody gets a little yeah. bit of, uh, of some different ones. Uh, so, so let's make sure everybody knows Hesperian Wines. You can go to HesperianWines.com, Google it, whatever's the easiest. You produce around 800 or so uh, cases, cases a year? Cases, yes, okay. of uh, Hesperian. I so it's a very limited amount. Yes. I, I sort of wised up when I got the vineyard <laughs> in 2011. Uh, I used to buy fruit and make single vineyard caps from different appellations mm-hmm. in Napa to showcase terroir. And uh, when I bought the vineyards, now I could farm for quality rather than dollars per acre. There you go. And so the quality really went up. Um, and uh, That makes a big difference. Yes. But the winemaking is very different. The farming is tough up there. But it's really worth it. So let, let's talk a little bit about the farming because our listeners probably don't know that you have not one but two <laughs> master's degrees Agriculture and agronomy? Agronomy and agricultural economics. There you go. I remembered the economics part, but I couldn't remember which part it was attached to. But anyway, from UC Davis. Right. And since you've traveled the world and grew up all over the world, what what drew you to UC Davis from other points of the planet in, to, in order to search out those specific degrees? I mean, um, ever since I was a kid, I, I love growing plants. I, I can't tell you why, but it gives me a lot of pleasure. Well, that's good. <laughs> I really Because like now it. you're growing an awful lot of them, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> 14 <laughs> acres of it, which is not that much. But, uh, and so since I grew up in the tropics, um, 
my parents had heard about Davis because mm -hmm. it was really instrumental, instrumental in the Green Revolution that raised the yields, not only in our countries, but especially in the third world, and uh, prevented a lot mm -hmm. of famines. And so since I always wanted to do agronomy, my parents said, well, you know, try it. And when it came time to apply for university, uh, I applied to three states in the U.S., Florida, because mm -hmm. it was warm and Latino, mm -hmm. um, at and Gainesville. Tropical. Gainesville is a good uh, agronomy mm -hmm. school. And then I applied in Louisiana okay. uh, for its culture and the temperature. Yes. And and I applied in California and got okay. accepted at Davis. So okay. here I came. So here you came, and you you really came full to to Turu West, because uh, not much further than Davis is Pacific Ocean. So you, you can't put a nope. uh, vineyard into the <laughs> ocean directly. You have to anchor it on land. So, uh, so a fascinating thing there. You've got fourteen acres. You are caretaker. You have been now since 2004 of your 14 acres. So that means you do get to make sure that your vines are the happiest they can be and are producing the best possible Cabernet Sauvignon possible right. out there. So not too happy. You have to stress your vines. Right. So <laughs> let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Some people who are listening may not realize that they think, you know, make them grow as much as they can. But a, 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 a good winemaker, a great winemaker, does not want their vines to be growing willy-nilly too much. So, it's a Goldilocks exercise, it, isn't it? Too much vegetation, not enough focus on the fruit, too much focus on the fruit, and, and you don't get enough concentration of flavors. Yes. Uh, so it's a vine, right? So if it's happy, if it has enough water and minerals as food it will keep growing <laughs> and going and, and going if you look at uh, the wild creeks around here mm -hmm. there's a lot of grapes wild grapes growing they're always by the rivers mm -hmm. and they're climbing up the the, the trees banks and the, oh yes the and uh, they keep growing all year round until the frost comes and so uh, but it doesn't matter too much in that case they're wild grapes for us what we're farming is for flavors uh, but we want the plant to stop growing at one point because the tips send hormonal signals to the plant mm -hmm. and they're in contradiction with the signals that the berries, berries start sending out. Mm -hmm. So it confuses the plant a little bit. Uh, it's better to have just one set of signals than two opposites. And uh, so if you achieve cessation of growth before uh, variation, color change, mm -hmm. that is ideal. And then the berry can focus. No, the plant can focus on ripening properly, harmoniously. Mm -hmm. Is berries. Otherwise, they still they will r start ripening, but they get these opposite signals from the tip, and you they lack harmony in a way. It sounds a little bit, in some ways, like children sometimes. You know, if you let them run too long in one direction, they forget about all the things over here, yes. and, and then the, of course <laughs> the opposite is true. Yeah. So what a balancing act that you have to do as a, as a vintner, uh, a farmer, uh, and all the different hats that you wear. It, you know, in a way, we have technical facility because of the weather. And since everything is irrigated, drip irrigated, mm -hmm. we can really control, especially on the, on the mountains mm -hmm. where we have very little soil, we can really control growth. And so that's, that's a really big plus. So, um, so far, listeners who may not have gotten it, you are on irrigation. Um, I know very few mountain farmers who can do without it. Right, yes. Um, not, uh, certainly not with um, relatively new vines. Um, you're, you're just kind of hitting maturation with the vines uh, since they were planted around 2000, Correct. right? Correct, yep. So they're about hitting their 20-year mark. This is, this is about when they're... They're going, wow, I'm an adult, and they're doing their best work, so to speak. Yes, again, it's a little <laughs> bit like children. Mm -hmm. You know, when they're adolescent, they're younger, they're going all over the place, full of energy, but it's not necessarily the best uh, sort of energy. And with time, hopefully, uh, kids mature and become a little more rational. Right, <laughs> right, right. Same with berries. Yeah. <laughs> Same with grapes. So, so I want to go back to the wine that we're drinking right now. I've noticed how much it's already opened in the glass. Uh, there's nothing like a little uh, opening, uh, mixing with uh, the air and the oxygen out there uh, to really bring out more of the flavors. We've got even more red fruit coming out, right. some deep dark cherries coming out here. 
you can see from the color it's this very deep ruby purple garnet kind of blend together in here mm. and yet it's still it's it, it it's still young I just go wow it's got a whole panoply of flavors going on but it's still young because there's so much fruit to it and the tannins are just hinting there in the back going we're here we're gonna be here for a while <laughs> Right, so so my my wines are a little atypical for Napa, uh, because I I think because I worked and learned winemaking in Bordeaux, and in Bordeaux we look for structure because that's what remains in the wine and that's what will make the wine age, allow the wine to age uh, properly, and so I I still I can't help it, mm -hmm. uh, I still look for that that backbone, the structure of the wine, and and for harmony and for balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then the wines are a little more generous than it would be in Bordeaux because we have more sun, more heat. So the and and it typically doesn't rain until late October, so we can actually extend our ripeness and, and have fuller wines. Um, and so that they're more exuberant, mm -hmm. a little you know bigger than what it would be for Bordeaux. But still, they have a Bordeaux structure. We're we're a little bit in the I middle, in between the two. Yeah, I would I would tend to concur with you on that and in so many ways um, it does remind me of a Bordeaux mm -hmm. wine um, and and it is not like what's known as the Napa Cab fruit bomb it is right. not no. a Napa Cab fruit bomb but it is all balanced it's it's also a little bit an old-style wine in a way that, that for that structure that's what uh, people used to do here uh, in the 70s, uh, obviously this is picked much riper than during those times. Uh, we have better equipment. We have mm -hmm. much more knowledge of the biology of plants uh, in, this, in the tanks, in the wine. So we have better control. Uh, but in its inspiration, it's an old mm -hmm. style wine. Well, some of that is, modern techniques. I was going to say, some of that is thanks to Robert Mondavi, who was a great technician with understanding advancements in technology mm -hmm. for making better wines. Also, UC right. Davis, yeah. um, which has done an enormous amount of research on what helps to make better wines. And of course, collectively, the community here puts in a lot of effort and generously shares their knowledge of, of what works you know in That's better right. ways yeah we have a very nice community and we exchange uh, a lot uh, together technically this is this is a, a place where um having a good relationship with your neighbor is r really important um for multiple reasons uh cer certainly going back uh to the fires of a few years ago everybody needed to be a good neighbor and mm -hmm. help each other out but i was also going to say when it comes around to harvest uh, having good neighbor relations is a big help because, uh, you, you know, if somebody doesn't have a forklift available, a truck available, uh, somebody's got bins they're not using right. <laughs> for some reason yeah. uh, that you need and they're willing to loan them to you, rent them to you, whatever those things are, those become crucially important right. in this kind of a community. Yeah, um, And uh, even more so in my case, because I want to put a cave up there. Mm -hmm. And I have to go through a hearing. Luckily, I finally got one uh, middle of this month. Yay! Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm super excited, uh, a little stressed about it too, because I don't know where <laughs> it's going. It's a little bit at their will. Hopefully, it's uh, rational. But uh, so then I have to deal with the neighbors because they have to know. I don't want to disturb them, etc. So. Uh, that's another reason to be nice to your neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm usually nice. <laughs> there you go. No matter what. <laughs> now, what, um, so we're talking about a hypothetical here because your caves aren't yet built, but yeah. I was kind of wondering from looking at the website again, hesperianwines.com, if you were working towards hoping for doing any type of gravity fed work or, or so I wasn't I, sure I, if you were uh, going that way. You don't have to build it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, you can destem in a bin mm -hmm. and dump it in your tank with your forklift. So you're not using a pump, it's gravity. Right. Uh, and otherwise the construction becomes much more expensive. With a gravity fed? With, uh, yes, because yeah. you have to go through, you yeah. know, two or three floors. Right. 
So unless you have the physical it. geography for well, that, that screams build it this way. Even if you have way. the geography, the structure mm-hmm. of it uh, makes it more expensive. Yeah. And so, no, I'm limited. <laughs> <laughs> it has to well, be rational. As we all know, you know, <laughs> you know, what do they say about, you know, how do you make a fortune in the wine business? Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you want to make $2 million, you got to start with $3 million or, what are, you know, it's insane You start kind with of stuff. a big fortune to end up with a small one. Yeah, <laughs> kind of stuff, <laughs> crazy stuff. But uh, most people in this business are in it for, it's a labor of love. Uh, but also, of course, they have to pay the bills like anybody else. Unfortunately. Uh, which is, <laughs> b- but you also, y- y- you've also said in other places that that was part of your reason for um, getting your, d- your master's degree in the economic side right. of all of this. Uh, because we have seen historically across the United States and frankly across the entire globe, um, that being able to manage the economics of agriculture uh, is not something that everybody is good at doing. <laughs> I'm not uh, sure I'm that good at it. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, the U.S. government, as you know, mm-hmm. subsidizes, you know, corn farmers, uh, soybean farmers, all kinds of things. I don't believe there's any great growing subsidies no. out there. No, no. They subsidize <laughs> like a little bit, for example, um, crop insurance. Mm-hmm. That's okay. what they do. But I mean, all crops, I think. Uh, as far as I know, that's the only uh, subsidy we get. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. That's one that mm-hmm. I didn't know that was available to grape farmers was to was to be on the receiving end of a subsidy for crop insurance. For which, crop insurance, Which yeah. many grape growers do not have crop insurance. They might have changed their mind after the they fires, They may have changed though. their mind, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that, that's, a, that's a whole, you know, that's a whole different podcast for us is like bringing in somebody in who can, who can talk to that type of an issue mm-hmm. of, of insurance and all that. So well, let's talk about some of the fun things involved with being your own boss, uh, be, being your own farmer. Uh, you have one part-time uh, farmer who helps you. Is that right? I have, no, I have, I have a full-time okay. employee. You full-time employee? Okay. Yeah. All right. uh, really nice guy. Really appreciate him. Very knowledgeable. Has a real feeling for plants. He was a farmer in Mexico when he was a kid, when he was younger. And he's been working here in the Valley for, what, 30 years now. And he really knows his stuff. So it's a real pleasure to work with Does him. Does that mean that like you finish each other's sentences or ideas about we need to change such we, and such and you have the same well, ideas? Uh, maybe in Spanish, but not in, fr- <laughs> in English. <laughs> uh, but you speak I five languages. <laughs> so you're ahead of the game still here. Uh, it, but you know, what's important is that, that he has that feeling, that sense of understanding the plants and the growth of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and we look at it the same way, which is really useful. Um, and so, because it, it's, it's a slow progressive mm-hmm. thing. It's a, it's a lot of small gestures that just add up and uh, you start skipping a few, your quality goes down a little bit, but you know, it's hard to tell. He really keeps on top of it. And he actually okay. reminds me sometimes because I get distracted with sales, with the winemaking, the rebuilding of my house. And so he's like, hey, uh, do you think we should do this or that? <laughs> and um, uh, so, so I'm he very happy. So you rooted in some ways because yes. he's the one. He's the one looking at the vines every day. You know, a lot of people who are are just consumers and not in the industry think, oh, they they just watch the <laughs> vines grow the grapes, and then once a year they take them off and they crush them and they wait for them to turn into wonderful wine. You know, it's really a kickback on the chaise lounge kind of lifestyle. What would you like to say to that <laughs> consumer about what's it really like? It's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work. But, you know, it, it, I mean, I like it. So uh, even though it's hard work, uh, it's work that I enjoy. So uh, it's a lot of operations mm-hmm. and almost everything is done by hand. Right. Oh, I'm so glad that she went back to that because when you talked earlier about equipment, I wanted to make sure that listeners knew um, there is no mechanical harvesting at your no, vineyard. No, I couldn't. It's too dangerous. <laughs> uh, the slopes are too steep. There are too You'd many rocks. F- I, I'd be afraid. Uh, those structures right. are very high. Yes, they so are. So their center of gravity is high, and, and they can tip easier. So they're, they're good for the valley floor. They're perfect for the valley floor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, uh, they're actually good tools, good equipment, but it just wouldn't work at, in that vineyard. 
and every vineyard is different yep. as, as you've observed working through all of these uh, over over the many years and then the three that you work with right, right. now um, that they're all a little different in point of fact one of them is this the one on Monticello Road is half mountainside that's, yeah, fairly that's steep. the Coombsville that's the Coombsville that's one the Coombsville, yeah. so half on the hillside and I think I've I have driven by that one oh, cool. in past years when I, when I still lived over there and it's like looking it's like looking at an open book with a, a serious spine to it so you've got you've got a relatively flat valley oh, floor flat, part flat. and then the other half about of that 30 percent slope again it <laughs> is pretty steep so it's like a book that won't lay flat right. I mean it's really something else there which is kind of tricky so let's let uh, let's try the second wine. All right. Tell tell our listeners about the second wine. The we second have here wine Atlas is the Atlas Peak. It's 100% Cab, uh, 80% New Oak. Mm-hmm. It has more more New Oak than than um, the previous blend, because it was a bigger wine, uh, and so I put more New Oak when the wine is structured. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be adapted to the wine. It's not a recipe. And so this and every one year that recipe changes, it changes doesn't it? Every year with the with the grapes are different every year, the wine's different. And so um this so is this is a barrel selection of the bigger, riper, mm-hmm. plushest. Mm-hmm. Now this one I'm distinctly I'm I don't have as much earthiness to it. I mm-hmm. have much more distinctively uh red cherry, dark, dark cherry. Um, some plum to it, uh, some cranberry. The blue notes are in the background to this. The spice notes are... It's much less spicy than the previous one. Um, I do get some um, minty notes, more like spearmint. Mm. Uh, Maybe some wild chaparral garrigue. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, uh, the vineyard is all surrounded with chaparral. Oh, wow. And so uh, plants in this, this type of uh, environment have a lot of aromatic oils to protect themselves from they drought. Do. And uh, when it gets very hot, the oils volatilize in the atmosphere, right. and then it settles mm-hmm. on whatever it touches. So I, that happens with eucalyptus. It's been yes. proven. Uh, but I'm sure it happens with other aromatic plants. And I think it adds something to the wine. Mm-hmm. There's some of that wild plant character that's just floating on the edge of the wine. There's, There's a, little a little bit of camphor. Yes, and a uh, little, just a touch of leather. Yep. Just a touch, yep. not that much. Mm-hmm. And I'm And I'm not particularly getting... Um, much ink. tobacco to it, but I, but I am getting a little bit of dark chocolate to mm-hmm. it, a little bit of that. For those of us who, because um, I'm a huge chocolate fan, <laughs> those of us who learn to write with pen and ink, mm. <laughs> there is the smell of ink in here too, ink and licorice. Now I had a I had an English teacher, and I I won't do this too long. I had an English teacher who'd been there since my dad was at the high school. Oh, wow. And a fossil. he, yes, and he <laughs> insisted, yeah, never mind that generations aren't nearly, they seem far apart when you're in high school, but it's not. Um, he insisted every student um, literally get a fountain pen. Yep. You know, with nibs, changeable yep. nibs. Uh, I cheated. I found a flare pen that could mimic the look of that ink. And I managed to get it by him. Oh, wow. Um, but he would actually criticize other students who were using ballpoint pens. Hmm. So um, I, I don't have the ability to quite capture that kind of ink. But is that from your childhood yeah. in Zaire? Yep. Was that that mm-hmm. was the kind of ava- the available school tools well, yeah, yes. for well, you? Well, we brought it from France. <laughs> 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 well, in some ways, I always <coughs> that 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 was kind of fun to be able yes. to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's compare these two for folks who are going. Well, we've got two different Cabernets from Hesperian wines that we want to compare here. We've got one that's a hundred percent from Kitoko Vineyards, mm-hmm. from your estate vineyard that's fourteen acres at about 1,400 foot elevation mm-hmm. with the uh, San Pablo Bay influences of the cool air and wind. I shouldn't just say air. It's yeah. a wind 
barreling through at different hours. You've got that, but then you've also got the other wine that you've got here uh, from Atlas Peak and the lower air, and the lower vineyards as well, mm-hmm. um, up against Coombsville. It's got a. You, you've also got some blend here from Monticello Road, right? I so ha- the other uh, vineyard in sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have another bottling under Hesperian from another vineyard mm-hmm. uh, that's on Monticello Road. Uh, one side is Coombsville, the other side mm-hmm. is Napa. I'm on uh, the Napa side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's a good vineyard, uh, and that comes. Uh, that'll come out uh, next year. Okay. All right. Good to know. You know. Our, you know. Even though you started the brand and the vineyard in 2004 should note that if i recall correctly your first commercial release wasn't until 2012 uh, no, so that's just for Atlas Peak. That was just for that one. Atlas okay, Peak. but I started in two thousand four mm-hmm. with a vineyard in Coombsville. Right, uh, just one vineyard, same in 05 and mm-hmm. it's in 06 that I started doing more single okay. vineyards and a blend of the single vineyards. Right. Okay. So what I, I guess what I was trying to get at, and I did not do very gracefully at all, was you had a certain you had a certain standard, quality standard that you wanted to achieve your brand you know so you you know so you were working with different ones to find what that was right i was trying to uh, showcase terroir Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people understand intellectually what it means uh, but when you taste them side by side then it becomes real and people usually have a light bulb that goes on and and it's they're actually surprised most of the time because they're like this cap too (laughs) <laughs> the only difference is that you grew it, it grew in a different spot. Right. Yes, it makes that much difference. It does. Um, and they can be fairly close together. I mean, you could be within a few right. acres yes. or miles. Depending no, no, on even at Sullivan, there was one block that probably had an old river uh, go through it or a creek some mm-hmm. time ago. And you could see the difference in growth in that block and that meandering stream going through right. the block. Right. And, and I actually picked that uh, more weak part separately right. and made the reserve out of it. Cause yes. But it was just two plants apart from <laughs> the more vigorous ones. Yeah. So it can be that close. Mother Nature is um, fascinating in how quickly the changes occur. I had talked with um, another vintner who had the Rogers Creek fault going mm-hmm. through the vineyard. And the soils are completely different on one one block on one side of the fault from the other side um, and vastly different and then as a result they've been experimenting with um, how much of any of that is going to go into any given wine mm-hmm. so they make big differences uh, talk a little bit about for our listeners who may not understand um, the differences between why you blend from multiple vineyard locations versus going 100% Kitoko, this is this is everything mm-hmm. that I control under my fingertips, literally, and and why that is. They don't always get that. Uh, they're different aesthetics. Uh, they have different balance uh, mm-hmm. points, um, and I like to play around. So it's I find it more interesting to have a number of different blends mm-hmm. with very different flavor. Pr- not maybe not very, but different flavor profiles and different structures. Okay. Uh, so when you compare the Napa to the uh, Atlas Peak, the Napa is a little leaner. It's a little more, the mm-hmm. structure is more apparent. Actually, the Atlas the Bordeaux Peak. The style. Yes, yes. The Atlas Peak has more tannins, mm-hmm. but they're riper, softer tannins. So d- you don't perceive them as harshly That's as right. in the Napa. Uh, so y- you have a sense of more backbone in it. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, but it's a little more feminine at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, it has all those um, uh, berries, black and red, like you said, but it also has a floral component to it, some lavender, some lilac. And with that earthiness, it's, um, it's a very different wine from the Atlas Peak that's very focused, uh, much more focused on fruit and just has uh, an edge of a plant character. Right. Uh, sappiness and uh, whence the um, the spearmint that I was picking earlier picking up and uh, um, they're very different uh, balances and those two wines they sure are it's like like a a thin person and a medium built person right well (laughs) right and I and I wanted to go back to um, some of the things you talked about earlier which is um, the Napa wine is distinctly more Bordeaux style yes 
um, for our listeners who go, oh, I just, I love the Bordeaux wines. That is my thing. Well, then that one would be the one that you would probably love even more, and that would mm-hmm. be more what you would le- lean into. If you are more into the floral notes, um, the rounded, soft, supple tannins are more your thing, and you're less into the earth tones, um, then you want to go for the Atlas Peak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, different strokes for different folks. It, uh, yes, it's very personal. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what you like to pair with them because you can, of course, drink all of these wines by themselves. You can find yourself a nice little uh, corner with a good book uh, and sip away it with either one of these, but a lot of folks like to have their wines with great food. So what these, do you like to pair with? These are bigger wines. Uh, they're, so I think these are more for red meat. Mm-hmm. Um, for steak or something like that, maybe a um, or some lamb. Some lamb would be delicious. I would uh, say even a venison stew. A venison, yes, yeah. would be wonderful. Um, or duck. Oh yes, <laughs> a cassoulet. Red, red meat. So yes. the Na- the Napa one, I that's more Bordeaux in style. I would definitely scream, scream you know, cassoulets would mm-hmm. be great. Um, and I have to say. I resisted this as a child, but my mother made a really killer tongue stew, mm-hmm. uh, and I resisted it, as, and, and which would have been very French. I've never had it. Uh, <laughs> oh, you've never had it? Okay, that's interesting, and I, and I haven't had it many years, but it, ca- it came to mind as that would be an excellent kind of pairing with this. I'll take uh, your word for osobuco? it. Osobuco? Osobuco also. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that strikes me as a great pairing with mm-hmm. your Napa Cabernet here, the 2015 would be absolutely dish delicious. Um, I can also see a lot of um, okay. uh, kebabs. Yes, sub- I was going to say grilled, grilled uh, stuff with herbs. Yes, on it. uh, include you know, and I would like to see a kebab that is uh, not only working with um, uh, a, you know roast beef in it, but with your uh, bell peppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and citrus notes and rosemary. You know, you get yep. some rosemary and you put that on your, your kebabs as well. So lots of notes there. Then let's look at the Atlas Peak Cabernet here um, with more floral notes. I, I could, and I and this is going to strike you as a little unusual, but mm. in winter, chicken with a mole sauce. Oh, because yes. I because you get the chocolate notes, you get the tomato, um, where the the meat being mm-hmm. chicken is a, a little bit lighter, but um, absolutely delicious altogether. And and uh, one of the things I learned about food and wine pairing over time is it's the weight of the foods. It's not necessarily uh, you gotta have white with white and you gotta right. have red with red. Th- th- that is too simplistic. Mm-hmm. It's the weight of the fats it's the weight of the acid mm-hmm. um big flavors with big wine right so i would say maybe uh, probably moroccan food also <gasps> would work yeah. really well with this like tagine yes. something like yes. that yeah and uh couscous with that has sauce with it yes yeah uh, in a different way paprikas mm-hmm. uh, that go with that you could even very nicely do a lot of different indian foods so paprika is an interesting mm-hmm. note because when I ferment my grapes, it's a marker. I have always uh, the very s- um, during fermentation. There's a very strong taste of roasted red bell pepper. Mm. Um, yes, r- and I love that flavor of paprika. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just during fermentation. I kind of <laughs> like that aroma. <laughs> I wish it would stick around, but then mm-hmm. it it blows off. Mm-hmm. It maybe it transforms into something else. So, and I have to say, I have to mention, this is, this is kind of a funky one, but it came to mind. Doesn't mean it's the perf- perfect pairing. We used to have one when I was a kid, and we would go to Snowmass to ski up on an Alpine Springs restaurant. They made what they called the gorgeous George Foreman burger. Has anybody had a gorgeous George Foreman burger? Okay, nope. now these are funky. They are, they are beef burgers, but they have pineapple and swiss cheese and it's a it's a funky combination and i'm not sure about the pineapple part but (laughs) certainly the swiss cheese in there i think would be mighty tasty with all of this 
We haven't mentioned some of the fun stuff, which is your wine club. Ah, yes. Let's talk about your wine club. Um, you, you've got three clubs, three actually. Three clubs uh, for three bottles, six bottles, or 12 bottles mm-hmm. twice a year. Uh, the first one, you get 10% off. Mm-hmm. Second, the six bottles, 15. And the mm-hmm. 12 bottles, 20% there off. And free shipping on the six and 12. There you go. And, uh, it's all complimentary shipping. Yes. Oh, it's all Sorry, included yes. with the no, It's never free. It's <laughs> complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. We, we all chuckle over that because uh, vocabulary is important in the alcohol biz. Yes. <laughs> to keep everybody happy. So it's a good one. So, But if you are a big fan of these, these are a great way to go. And let's not forget, you have events that you will hold here at the Kitchen Collective. This beautiful, beautiful space here in Napa. Once a month, mm-hmm. uh, I hold what we call a salon, mm-hmm. and uh, it's basically uh, a long dinner mm-hmm. with a lot of chat about wine and uh, anything else that pops up. There you go. Any subjects, uh, fair game, and um, and I bring older vintages uh, f- that I kept from the beginning. Library uh, wines. Library wines, uh, all the way Something to like 04. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to show proof of concepts, uh, these are wines that are meant to age, and mm-hmm. so I can prove that they do. <laughs> there you go, which is which is important, uh, you know, for people to understand, and that's a way to get a chance to taste it. But you can only do that if you're a club member and you come to the events. You get you get first so dibs no, on sa- invitation. The, the salons, you yeah. don't have to the be salons. a, c- a wine club member. Um, you can just uh, call us or go online and um, just let us know. We do one uh, do it once a month. Uh, and I think when uh, at the beginning of next year, I'm going to try to do those paired with another artist of mm-hmm. another field. So you, you talk about this a little bit about the website. You're you're a big arts fan, all kinds of arts. So uh, painting, sculpture, dance, music. Yes, uh, I'm trying to see what the how they approach approach their arts okay. and talk about it just freely with them uh with people around see what their reaction is too well i think that's a fantastic idea to be able to uh to look at that and see what what different people do um the thing that i that i've personally found is the common thread is determination and perseverance to keep following a thought through until they've figured it out. And if that expression is getting harder with age, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yes. And, and I would say, I would say particularly uh, for dancers because it's their body, um, like they're athletes, Mm -hmm. um, like sports people, uh, they've got a limited window in which to figure some of those things out. And then if, and if and if they haven't figured out everything, then they become a choreographer, right? An artistic director of a dance troupe, where but they're working out more of those ideas. The feeling that you have when you're young uh, in your art mm-hmm. versus later on is different. You've gone through life, you've learned things. Hopefully, it evolves. Uh, you've you know it's evolved, and the way you express the emotions are going to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just an interesting part of the uh, the evolution of whatever arts you're doing. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And we, you know, we, we you bring up all this uh, exploration of the arts, and we haven't really filled in the audience um, about your very extensive exploration of the planet, frankly. <laughs> so let, let's let's back up a little bit because I think uh, our audience would find it fascinating. Born born in El Salvador. Yeah. You spent most of your childhood in Zaire. Yes. Nowadays, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yes. Uh, 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 for which you borrowed a Congolese Correct. dialect word to name your vineyard, Kitoko, mm-hmm. um, which is fascinating there. You also use Wapo Indian <laughs> words within Hesperian wines. Yes. Because, of course, for our listeners who don't know, Wapo Indians were uh, were the original occupants of the Napa Valley. Right. And that's why I chose, uh, starting in 16, the Mm -hmm. Coombsville Atlas Peak Mm Blend is called Witha, Mm -hmm. which, again, means west in Wapo. 
And then the vineyard in Monticello blended with uh, the Kitoko vineyard becomes Pawa. Mm -hmm. So it's still Hesperian, but with a fanciful name. Uh, Pawa means one, so mm -hmm. one wine out of many. Right. Uh, and uh, I chose to use the, the WAPO terms to, in a way to show respect to the people who came before and maintain uh, the environment. Uh, and to root the wine in a longer history, the, the vineyard in a longer history than mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, y 2004 was the for founding of Hesperian mm -hmm. Wines. The vineyard itself was planted in 2000, so it hasn't been too long, but it's hitting it's hitting its it's hitting its big years in which it can perform the best. It, it makes me think back. This is a silly analogy, but it th makes me think back to um, Mikhail Baryshnikov in his prime years with American Ballet Theater, mm -hmm. pr performing all of the major roles that he did. And he acknowledged that, you know, in his 20s and early 30s, he had this window at which his body um, would perform its absolute best. And if you ever saw any of the films or a live performance of him doing those roles, there were pirouettes and various uh, ballet moves that he could do that nobody had seen anybody do in this century and quite that and get the elevation that he got and sticking the landing as we use as a term today mm -hmm. that was amazing and and vine, vines are like that too in the grapes yeah um they when they're young they're very exuberant they're they're full of energy and they're <laughs> like children like children <laughs> they have they produce a lot of fruit it's sometimes mm -hmm. out of balance with the canopy so that's when you drop fruit you have to control it's it's exuberance and as it starts maturing you don't have to control as much. Mm -hmm. It self-regulates mm -hmm. much more. And that's the important part. Do you still drop much fruit I don't, at all? because to start with, my yields are pretty miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, apart well, for last Well, let's put a positive year, spin on no, no, that. But I mean, uh, you know, by, by, by the acre, but r none of you in the Out mountains, yeah. in the mountains yeah. get high yields. Uh, but you get, you get high-stressed vines, which means they put all of their energy right. into the biggest possible flavor in the smallest possible space. Right. And uh, that's the advantage of it. And that's why the, the fruit, the, the wines are so expressive and s can be so mm -hmm. tannic if you don't treat them gently. So as, as we've been working on the Atlas Peak wine uh, during the second part of the show, um, it seems like as it's opened up, more and more of the red and blue fruit has evolved. I would say more blue fruit has evolved out of this. And the delivery across the mid-mouth, and I don't know how, what other analogy to give, but it's like a, a, a sailboat with a great keel to it. Um, it opens up from a very narrow, you know, the attack mm -hmm. is narrow, but then it opens up and it gets, it delivers wide and evenly in the mid-mouth, and then it just kind of keeps sailing mm -hmm. on through, That's sailing a good way of putting on it, yes. through. You know, as it continues to evolve, and you can you can feel the coat all around the middle mouth, um, and it keeps evolving with the red fruit going hello, <laughs> uh, and little bits of of spices are coming through, and then it keeps, and then it starts drifting off. But you go, oh yeah, that backbone's still there. The tannins are still it there. Keeps going, but the tannins are soft. Right. If you love a Cabernet with soft tannins, this is the wine for you. It's Definitely. soft on the surface, but it has an iron fist in right. the middle that will make th the wine age for a long so time. So let's talk about aging. Mm -hmm. um, Cabernet Sauvignons are, are made to drink now, but made to age very nicely and evolve over the years. How do you think both of these wines are going to age? Oh, they're going to age uh, quite well for a long time. I think the Napa will be at its peak in 10 years mm -hmm. and then plateau for a while and then start decreasing. But, you know, it'll be a good wine for 20 years. Um, and then the Atlas Peak will last for much longer than that because it's more tannic. 
Uh, well, and it's so, just lovely. You see, you know, like I keep going for you to keep talking so I can keep and, sipping. Uh, <laughs> yesterday I had a tasting and I brought out uh, my first vintage, the 2004, mm -hmm. and it's still kicking. It's still fully alive. It still has a backbone. The acidity is still present. Exciting. still has fruit. Some of the tertiary aromas are starting to show up, mm -hmm. but... Um, I think it has another 10, 15 years to go. Wow, that's fantastic. Mm. And that's some of the fun of, you know, cellaring, opening up a bottle a year. If you're somebody who's bought a case of something, bought a case of this Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, is that you, you could open up a bottle a year and see how it's evolved over time. Did you did you pair it with something? Were you no, just having it by yourself? No, it was a tasting. Okay. It was a tasting. It was just a tasting. So. <laughs> All right, that's fun stuff. So... I'm curious, you, you alluded to the fact that you've, you're getting this um, hearing is coming up uh, on finally being able to dig your cave. Um, for our listeners who may not know, there are numerous, which is an understatement, hoops to jump through in order to build a winery, to build caves on your property, to open it to the public to come up for tastings, which is why you're, we're here in the Kitchen Collective, because mm -hmm. this is where most of your public tastings are actually held right. here at mm -hmm. the Kitchen Collective in Napa. Uh, what's, what's your vision? What's your vision 2030 for Hesperian wines? And if I've stumped you, I apologize. No, no, no worries. <laughs> uh, I, uh, well, I hope the cave, they gave me the permission for mm -hmm. the cave. Uh, and after the fire, I found out another advantage of a cave. They don't burn. That's right. <laughs> that's right. They're underground. So up there is a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I want a cave for all the, the reasons of, you know, less uh, energy consumption mm -hmm. because it's underground, more thermally controlled uh, for barrel aging and also for the for my tanks. The tank mm -hmm. room will be underground, too. Um, and it'll be all with solar panels. The water will be recycled in the vineyards. Um, so you're going to be, I think the term is zero. Wait, net what zero. Is net zero. Yes. Which uh, means completely self-sustaining and operating right. and not That's having goal. a negative impact on the environment right. whatsoever. I believe that... Uh, Garbage in, garbage out, <laughs> uh, but also... So I, no garbage. <laughs> I shouldn't produce externalities. Uh, I should take care of it, uh, not somebody else down, down the stream. And so uh, I, I want to, you know, make sure that the project is environmentally really sound. And, um, and my goal is to get to the 100 points. <laughs> Bravo! Uh, just to because I mean it just says oh you have a very good wine, and, there you, go. uh, you know third party endorsement. It's always and very helpful. Yeah, uh, not only helpful but you know if it's just me lauding the quality of my wine is not the same as somebody else. That's what, there you go. And uh, so that's, I know your that's wines the already, optimal. I know goal. your wines have already been getting great professional yes. reviews. Yeah, so, yeah. so I get good reviews, uh, and hopefully they'll get better with and time. Get, there you go, which <laughs> is fantastic. So anyway, uh, we're just about out of time. I want to make sure our listeners know: just go to hesperianwines.com. Um, I have to tell you, the website is fantastic. And we've only scratched the surface <laughs> this hour talking about Philippe's wines. But uh, you can learn a lot of details about his philosophy of winemaking, his philosophy of caretaking for the land mm -hmm. um, that he has stewarded since 2004. Um, from the website itself, you can really dig into how this works and, and why he... Um, has certain programs for his oak programs. Um, we didn't even mention the little details like all your wines are uh, unfiltered and unfined and why that's important right. to you. Anytime you do something to the wine, you take a little something mm -hmm. from it. And if the wine doesn't have any microbial problems, there's no reason to filter it. There you go. Magic answers. And we also didn't get to talk too much about the fact that that you really consider uh, winemaking all happens 99.9% in the vineyard. In great part in the vineyard. Uh, maybe not 99.9% .9 because <laughs> then there's still the <laughs> fermentation and that can change yes. the, the, That's true. Uh, the style But you're of in charge wine. of all of it I'm from A it. to yes, Z. Yes. Um, so that works. Which is the best part. <laughs> yeah, you get to control the, the whole thing. Yeah, because the quality is made in wines. the vineyard. Quality. If, if I do my job, job right in the vineyard, mm -hmm. 
I get really good fruit, and then my winemaking is super simple. And uh, I think that, for me, is the best because it allows the wine to shine through naturally. Mm. And uh, I, that's what I'm trying to do. Not, not make my wine, but make this wine shine through and show the place where it, where it was grown. Uh, rather than my, you know, I put a lot of barrels, a lot of additives or whatnot to just make uh, an indus- industrial product. Right. That's uh, not your, that's not that's, your that's thing. That's not my thing. No. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. So this is, this is what all contributes to these beautiful Cabernets from Hesperian Wines. Philippe Langner, thank you so much for being with Wine Women Radio Hour today. Really appreciate your time today. And Kitchen Collective, for the beautiful space, uh, I want to encourage everyone to come for a visit. Great space. They uh, they have a lot of great things going on here. Uh, and, of course, you can just simply go to HesperianWines.com uh, to sign up for one of the monthly salons. Or come and uh, visit us. Uh, we'll there you go. visit the vineyard and, and do a tasting. Fantastic. Thanks, Philip. Great. Thank you very much for having right. me. Thank you so much. Thank Listeners, you. thank you for tuning in today. And we'll have another edition of Wine Women Radio for you next week.